Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everyone, I'm your host Brandon Kyle Goodman and welcome to Black Folks. On this show, I have the honor and privilege of talking to black people of various identities about our lives and how being black has shaped our experiences. This week, I had a lovely conversation with Aisha D, star of the hit freeform show, The Bold Type. We discuss defining black love outside of romantic relationships, how Beyonce's lemonade changed her and everyone's life, and how Aisha's love of Josephine Baker shaped her black identity. All right, here's my interview with Aisha D. Hello, Aisha. Hi. <laughs> We're acting like we haven't been talking for the last seven minutes. Uh, so as always yeah. with my guest, Aisha, I'm going to have you introduce yourself first and you can start with your pronouns and tell us anything you want us to know about you and what you do and how fabulous you are, all of it. Sure. Uh, my name is Aisha D. I, uh, it's Aisha like Rosacea. In case anyone's wondering about the pronunciation. I love it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my pronouns are she, her, they, kind of whatever. Uh, and I guess I'm an actress, but I always kind of say that with a with a question mark on the end because I kind of can't believe I, I don't have a real job. You know? <laughs> it's a real job. <laughs> How, dare real. How dare you? How dare you? It is a real job. It's hard. It, it is, is hard. hard. Thank <laughs> you for seeing me. <laughs> It's like if your job isn't real, then what the fuck is my job? Our jobs are real. But I understand well, yeah, sure. there are other jobs that require a lot more effort than ours, yeah. I guess, yeah. if we're being honest. I mean, I love it. I don't know how to do anything else. So please don't someone make me no, no, do No, 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 don't worry. You're, you're in it. You're in. You're in your pocket. That's what we're doing. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> All right. You. And so I will also say how we know each other, which is through Megan. I met you yeah. through Megan and Tom and the... This is the reason we're all doing this, black folks. Uh, so that's a short, uh, that's a very short how we know each other. Sometimes they're long. <laughs> they're well, how's it simple? It's simple and sweet. In these times, know? the simplicity is what I value most. Yes. Simplicity. <laughs> yes. Okay, so I'm going to ask you the big black folks question of the day. And I, I do like yeah. to warn, I feel like I have to warn, it is a, it's always a big loaded question. And then we'll just like, Taper it in like a cute little glass of wine. Do wine, does it. wine taper it? Yeah, right? Wine tapers. A wine glass? Like a wine glass taper. Or a waist trainer? A waist. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're, let's think of this as a waist trainer. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so my question for you today is, yeah. beyond romantic relationships, what does black love mean to you? Mm. Well, I mean, the first thing I think of 
when I think of black love is loving one's blackness, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, because it's used as a weapon and it's used against us our entire lives, you know, and it's pointed out constantly by strangers. Yes. Um, I think uh, when I think about that, I think about kind of turning the love inwards and saying like, oh, I love the thing that makes me different. You yeah. Um, Do yeah. you remember when you turned the love inwards? Ooh, I feel like there's been several moments throughout my life where I kind of like was able to change the narrative and flip it, you know? Yeah. What was the um, first moment? Uh, well, the first one was actually, uh, I used to get kind of bullied uh, as a kid and my mom uh, is an opera singer. So we spent a lot of time in the library and she would be like printing off sheet music for literally hours. And so I would go, uh, I would go into the magazine section and I would look at the magazines and they had some uh, international magazines. They actually had Essence magazine at this library, which I like loved seeing faces and bodies that looked like mine. Yeah. Um, so that was like a, a really big turning point. I also would spend a lot of time in like the video section. Um, I, I remember watching like some old Josephine Baker movies as a kid. Yes. And that really like, even though I know some of them now are probably a little problematic and they kind of play into some stereotypes. But regardless, I was like, I was looking at someone who, who looked like me and it made me love myself. Yeah. I saw her centered in this like beautiful thing, you know? Wait, how old were you then? I was probably like five. Five. Maybe. Yeah. And then you said there were several points. So like five-year-old you experiences Josephine Baker and goes, there I mm -hmm. am. And like, I'm wonderful. And then what happens that like, there needs to be a second reckoning? Like, was well, there, think, go ahead. I think for a lot of young girls, um, and I don't know, I don't know the exact statistics on this, but I've read a lot about it. I have a 12-year-old sister, so mm. it's like important to me to know about this stuff. But. Yes. Around the age of 11 or 12, <clears throat> many like young girls kind of go through this. Um, there's this switch that happens where a lot of young girls, I think their um, self-esteem and confidence kind of takes a dive for mm -hmm. some reason. Um, and so I think a lot of that kind of had to do with just, um, you know, just growing up and normal kid stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, and then also kind of just trying to uh, <clears throat> like understand... Uh, you know, for me, I'm biracial, but I'm also, uh, and I don't know if this is a thing, but like bicultural. Mm. Tell um, me more about that. What does that mean specifically? Well, well I grew up in Australia. Okay. Uh, I spent many of my kind of formative years in Australia. And then I moved here and I'm actually a dual citizen. So I spent many of my formative years here. I came here at 16. Yeah. So I'm still really growing. For and sure. um, I think, uh, I think in my teenage years, I just got really confused, like... Uh, how do I, uh, where do I fit, you know, in terms of like, where is the line between white and black and which side of it do I belong on? Obviously, I don't pass. So um, yeah. I was always black in every space and every breath I've ever taken has been in a black body. But yeah. there was also like this kind of, I think, insecurity that was something that I kind of conjured up myself a li little bit, I think. Um, do you think, but do you think that there was anything outside of yourself that was supporting like, was there evidence outside of yourself that supported that confusion? And I mean, like, w w how are black people treating you? I mean, here's the thing. Is I, I remember the first time I was called the N-word. Yeah. And I didn't know what it meant. 
And I didn't really have anyone to ask because I grew up in Australia with my white family. So the, I'm sorry, uh, the first time you got called the N-word was in America. In Australia. In Australia. Okay. Really, really young. Um, but I don't think that the I don't think the kid who called me that word really knew what it meant either. I yeah. think it was more just something they had heard. Yeah. So I knew, oh, this has something to do with my blackness. And no one ever believed my mom was my mom and all of that kind of stuff. And then it flipped when I got to America. I was so excited to come here because I felt so isolated there. Yeah. Um, and then it flipped. And instead of being called the N-word, I was called an Oreo. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> and I've the had- W word. <laughs> you know, like, and yeah. yes, I know it's a very, like, common uh, kind of experience. So I think, like, just the confusion of having those two different experiences and being like, well, what is the truth? And I think the truth is neither of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. You've given yeah. me so much <laughs> that I want to respond to. Um, I'll start by saying, you know, my definition of black love, I think, is the same as yours. I think mm. for so often, which is why I specify like outside of romantic relationships, because I think my understanding of black love was always a romantic, cis, hetero, kind of black man, black woman relationship. And that is black mm-hmm. love. And that's that image is so important for black love. Uh, and in my adulthood, I've understood that it's it's about loving oneself. It's about the fact that you grow up in this world where your blackness, as you said, isn't valued. And, and you're kind of taught that it's this bad thing. And, that, you know, and you're you're kind of swimming in all of, as a kid, I always think about this. As a kid, it's really hard, no matter how much your mom or your dad or whoever's in your life might tell you you're beautiful, you're handsome, you're whatever, it it doesn't compete with what you're seeing on TV or what you're not seeing mm-hmm. on TV, right? It doesn't compete Absolutely. with the, you know, you see, I used to love Essence Magazine, which I know was like such a female-centered thing, but I loved Essence, I loved Ebony, I loved Jet, because it was like uh, the one time there's also this like I forget what it was called but it was like all about black hair like there was <laughs> it was like literally like black hairstyles because it was like <laughs> oh like I, I understand this I this is yeah. my, my friends don't get this but like I understand this and I see myself in this and so as a kid to like not know that you are being trained to not love yourself. And then that consciousness that hopefully happens in your adulthood Mm -hmm. where you're like, oh, I need to, I'm fine. Like I'm good the way it's everybody else. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I agree with you that that is, that is black love. Like loving yourself, I think is the, it's black love and it's purest. Yeah. It's, it's knowing that there's no right or wrong way to be black. Or how many you know. minutes are we in? Jesus, that's a... <laughs> is it Sunday? <laughs> oh, Every day is Sunday every, in the quarantine. <laughs> absolutely. At this point, absolutely. No, you're right. There is no right or wrong way to be black, which I also yeah. think is such a, a hurdle. And I, I wonder... Uh, I mean, you started to talk about this just as being biracial, that experience of like, you know, you wondering what your blackness is, but also other people, you know, calling you an Oreo, which I've also mm-hmm. heard. And I, I'm not biracial, but it was it's at the at the core of it. It's you're not performing black correctly. Right. At the core. Mm-hmm. That's what you're what somebody is telling you, like, oh, you're an Oreo because you are not performing blackness however we think blackness should be performed.
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You started by saying that there were several times in your life Mm. where you had this like, I love myself. When was like the final time? When were you like, here I am, I've arrived? Uh, Well, (laughs) I think the most recent one was uh, uh, (laughs) when Lemonade came out. Oh, and then Black is King also, like... Yes. A moment of silence. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, yes. When, when Lemonade came out, I was actually, um, it was a, maybe a couple of months earlier. I had had a, like um, surgery on, uh, I had some like lady part complicated stuff. And so I had to have this surgery that was an exploratory thing. Mm-hmm. So it was like, not to get gore. I don't know how like squeamish you are, but no, it was I'm like, um, it was like, uh, abdominal wall surgery. Okay. So they basically cut into your entire abdominal wall and take out all of your organs and put them all back in again. Yeah. And so I, I didn't walk. I didn't walk for like maybe a, a month. Wow. I didn't walk. And um, so I was like just fucking stuck in bed. And then I went through a breakup. And then I think I was a. Uh, I was really upset one Sunday and I was like, well, I guess I'll watch the Beyonce documentary tonight because no one knew what it was. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's and, fair. Uh, I, that's fair. I thought like, oh, this is going to be like a uh, life is but a dream and it'll be great. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. But it's not, you know, it's just going to be fine. Yeah. And uh, I sat on my couch with, I think I had some like Thai food or something, like about to take the first bite as I see Beyonce sitting there in a turban. She says, you can taste the dishonesty. It's all over your breath. And I literally put it down, stood up and just cried. (laughs) I would never forget that moment, you know. I want you to know that as you were talking, my jealousy (laughs) rage that your expectations were so low that it got to like, be expl- like I'm like wow that first yeah. moment of like this will be good <laughs> and you're like oh because <laughs> I was off social media I was like I don't want to be here like, yes I'm not I wasn't taking any like culture in yeah so it was it came out of nowhere and um yeah yeah I don't know just a very like special moment and also in Lemonade you got to see so many different types of black women yes which was you so know. important and so yeah. beautiful. So then you watch Lemonade and then how does that, I guess I'm wondering like, how does that shift your, how you move through the world? Like, like what, like what's the immediate kind of evidence of like, oh, I did this differently or I felt this different or I started doing this differently because yeah, I had arrived. Well, I think music has such a powerful influence over me and I'm, I think everyone, but music has always been a very big part of my life yeah. given that my parents are musicians um so when i listen to an album like it i feel like i ingest it almost yes, like it's food I'm right with you, know? you yes um pj morton actually released an album at midnight last night that you should listen to it's also, a gospel album and it is so good i will get on that did you hear that jasmine sullivan just dropped 
her a song from her EP. Look at your face. You didn't know. Okay. <laughs> I know. We'll, we'll hurry this interview up so that you can go. I have to song. go. For three minutes, I have to go. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best three minutes. I've been listening to it on repeat. I can't. I need the whole fucking album. But anyways, okay. Sorry. <laughs> I, Jasmine Sullivan. <sighs> wow. The song Mascara really like gets me up in the morning, you know? Um, let it burn. Anyway, what were we go- talking? Let <laughs> it burn. Mona Lisa. Uh, Jasmine I Sullivan. Can, we can stand. I can go on. We can go on. Okay, we were talking about the evidence that you like, <laughs> after you watch Lemonade, the um, evidence of like, oh, you know, how uh, that I've, like, how did, how did that start to impact your life? How did you see shifts in your life? Yeah. Um, well, I think like, there was a, a big part of it was actually kind of seeing different black women in their bodies, mm. you know? Um, I remember the, the scene uh, in the plantation home um, and there's just, you can see all of these women and they're different shapes and mm-hmm. they're different colors. And I was like, oh, my thighs that I've hated my entire life are fine. Yes. My hair is great. And I, I think I, uh, I also started like, seeing a hairdresser I used to just cut my own hair and I'm yeah like, I'm gonna go to a hairdresser and this hairdresser changed how I felt about my hair I just feel like I was I was it, it, I mean it was a really um it was a really important time and uh I think it also kind of gave me the confidence to say uh I wanted something different for my career as well I started kind of choosing the projects that I wanted to go out for and saying this project feels important and it feels like something I want to do. So I want to do that. Yeah. I wasn't just taking a job because I was afraid to never work again. Yeah. You know, it, it sounds like I could like, I could actually cry right now, which is so funny because we were just laughing, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's, it's like, an emotional time. it's an emotional time. We're yeah. all on edge. We're all on edge, but it sounds like you just started taking care of yourself and understood your value Um, which is why, you know, like I, you know, we're in this business and I always think that we can't underestimate the value of media, like as, as dark and nasty as media and Hollywood can be the Mm. immense value that it has on people's lives and just what it means to be able to see yourself, uh, Mm. and to see a version of yourself and like, you know, with Lemonade or even Black is King, which I've watched Black is King 15, I thought, like, I am responsible for the majority <laughs> of her streams because it's like... You're welcome, Beyonce. You're welcome. It's successful because of me. But anyways, yeah. <laughs> um, it's like the, seeing us lit well, you know, seeing us yes. dressed well, seeing us, seeing just a... a uh, like 20 of us on screen together. Like mm-hmm. it just, I'm like, oh, this is what white people have been getting their entire life. You know, oh, like yeah. this is what they've been experiencing since they got here. And those of us who are not white have not experienced that. I mean, even like, I I think I've brought this up before, like watching Crazy Rich Asians was a fucking emotional experience for me. Cause I was like, I have never seen this mm-hmm. many Asian uh, people on screen at one time and looking gorgeous. And I'm not talking about like, you know, fucking superficial beauty standards. I'm talking about just like treated well. Like, you know, like, like independent, able to like uh, have their flaws and have their successes and, and not need 
white people to yeah. validate them. And I think that that's Absolutely. what Lemonade and Black is King and all these Black Panther and uh, and Girls Trip and all these things that have uh, recently started to pop off do for for us on such a visceral level. It's like it's mm. it's beyond the conversation of we need representation, which sometimes feels like it becomes political and it is political but do you know what i mean like it's like there's something yeah, much tired. more yeah there's something it's much tired. more pure than a hashtag right it's like it's yeah. it's beyond a hashtag it's like no no this is it is important that little asia sees herself right it's important mm-hmm. that little brandon sees themselves and like goes yeah. oh there i am and i can be whatever the fuck i'm actually curious I'm curious what what uh, what media like what music what movies what TV shows do you feel like were pivotal for you? Ooh. So, Cinderella Brandy was. <laughs> I could cry. <laughs> that was a game changer for me. That was. A, I mean. Because, you know, you think about fairy tales and you think about, you know, that we just don't exist in fairy tales. People of color don't exist in those stories, period. Mm -hmm. Especially black people, especially black women. I mean, fairy tales are so female driven and there's never a black woman in it. Uh, And my mother used to, I believe the author's name is Fred Crump. And Fred used to create these fairy tales um, with black protagonists. So it was Rapunzel, but it's all black. Or uh, instead of Jack and the Beanstalk, I think it's Jamako and the Beanstalk. Uh, oh, wow. And my favorite, which is in my bedroom right now, uh, is the Ebony Duckling. So instead of the Ugly Duckling, it's about this Ebony Duckling, who's this black duck who turns out to be this gorgeous Ebony Swan. So, like, my mother, like, instilled that, but it was very much inside of our four walls. So Mm. when Cinderella happened, which was, like, on the TV and, like, everybody was watching, I fucking lost my goddamn mind. (laughs) Like, it was just, like, again, like, seeing us lit well, seeing us as the protagonist, seeing us be able to sing, seeing us in value made me feel of value. So that was pivotal. Um, what else was pivotal? Uh, I mean, obviously Lemonade was also kind of another level for me too. Mm -hmm. Um, and what I think is interesting about what you said was knowing what to ask for in your career. And, And I think that Lemonade also did that for me Mm -hmm. where it's like, actually life is but a dream did that for me. She says, and I, she says, uh, uh, what did she say in it? Um, I don't like to gamble, but if there's one thing I'm willing to bet on, it's myself. Oh, yeah. I heard that and I was like, fuck. Yeah. Fuck. And I think I was in my early, like, 2021 20, when I heard that. And I was like, Fuck. I mean, that documentary is slept on, but it is a Sunday service, if it, we're honest. If we're honest, if you really, like, go through it, it's like, you can't compare it to... I think it's about it to, time everyone knew. Every, go back to HBO, look up Life is But a Dream, Beyonce's documentary. 
But yeah, that was a, I think, I, yeah, that was a pivotal moment. Sister Act 2 was also very pivotal oh. for me. Um, yeah. That movie, I mean, I used to watch that movie on repeat, just as like, if you want to be somebody, if you want to go somewhere, you better wake up and pay attention. I actually watched it a few weeks ago. Of course, me too. <laughs> I, I realized, I was like, oh my God, I know every single line of this movie. If you wanted to do a, a performance right now, you and me, right? We, we, <laughs> I'll, I'll do from beginning to end. <laughs> if you wanted to do it right now. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love, I love it. it. I love it. <laughs> yes. If you, we could do it right now. <laughs> oh, I know that entire montage is crazy. Oh my God. I was concerned for myself. I was like, oh, you better, you better stop because this is too much. For All I want is a reboot so I can play Shirley Ralph and I just want to say singing does not put food on the table. Oh. Singing does not pay the bills. Wait. I'm just going to pitch it. I say we do another Instagram TV series that is just us reenacting um, the entire Sister Act 2. I am in. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. (laughs) We'll do them in 10 minute increments. We'll just do 10 minutes. Yes, absolutely. It's a a whole series. Um, (laughs) Wait, what was... Because your parents were musicians, what Mm -hmm. music or what artist for you helped you be like, oh, there I am. I love me because of this. Well, I mean, besides Beyonce, Beyonce, yes, because she's been around. And like, I think that was uh, she was so mainstream that it was hard to ignore her. Yes. Um, Oh, man. Uh, MC Light. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. MC Light is a really big favorite of mine also Lil Kim like my mom uh yes my family's pretty religious and conservative you know and uh I wasn't allowed to listen to secular music yeah um except for if it was black amazing (laughs) like my mom my mom was like you need to be exposed to things that make you love yourself and honestly like props to my mom she did a great job she really tried her best to like expose me to as much of the culture as she could um, but I was allowed to listen to like, like there was a compilation CD called Shake Your Ass that I was allowed to listen to. And I wasn't allowed to listen to like Backstreet Boys. My mom was like, not that. <laughs> Never that. So I, I still like, I don't know the Backstreet That's Boys amazing. or Hanson or nothing I like that. I feel like that. your mother is like, <laughs> like mm, no to NSYNC, but juvenile. Yes, absolutely. That mm-hmm. sounds great. <laughs> um, yeah. Like listening to like Lil Kim's album. With, with no no problem. Uh, I'm going to be the complete opposite. I mean, I love Lil' yeah. Kim. But for me, yeah. it was India Ari's first album. Oh. Mm-hmm. I mean, video. Uh, no, the, I'm, I, I consider all of her albums like one album, so I may pull songs from everything. But video was obviously. And Brown Skin. Yeah. Brown Skin. You know mm-hmm. how I love your brown skin. That was, uh, that was in high school. I went to high school in Rome, Georgia. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was a very, 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 very white school. Uh, okay, so we have that in common. <laughs> just very, yes. Like I used to, um, I, when people would ask, I would pour salt on a table, a lot of salt, and then put a spot of pepper to be like, this is what the demographic of the school is. It's like, it, we're, you can barely find us. Yeah. Um, so 
it was a hard time because I was also wrestling with my sexuality unconsciously. Didn't like that wasn't at the forefront, but it was there. Obviously, puberty and all those things. So hormones are, are raging. But then finding myself suddenly in this very white school as like the only, not the only, but one of very few black people in the space, uh, mm-hmm. and around students who outwardly are not here for anything black. Do you like it's it's not. I was in the like the fucking country. Like they were not trying to be like. I'm sure some of those people right now are like all lives matter people. Is what I'm trying to express. Like oh, that. Yeah. Like they, <clears throat> not all of them, but many mm-hmm. of them I'm sure are. Um, and so just to like hear Brown Skin by India Re and like literally kind of lock myself in my room and like listen to India Re on loop or listen to Kelly Rowland had dropped her solo album at that time listening to that on loop just kind of trying to get lost in the music to Mm. which I couldn't articulate at the time but obviously now I'm like oh that was because I didn't feel a value yeah and I think there's a lot that you kind of come to you as an adult and yeah. you don't even realize at the time that you're escaping. Yes. You know, 1000% um, escaping. Yeah. I mean, I had like big over headphones like these and I had my little discman and of my, course. the zipper, the, the zip thing. Oh, well, actually it was With a, all your CDs in that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that came like, it came, it came much later. We were actually, we were doing like records and tapes for a long time. Cause we bought everything at the thrift shop. Yes. Um, I was always so jealous. I was like, what do you mean you could just skip to the next track? That's crazy. <laughs> is this stuff of the future? It's insane. <laughs> what do you mean you can just skip to the next track? Yes, very true. Unheard of. Yes. Um, but, but there's an escape that comes with like just putting headphones. And I still do it, even now. Yeah. Especially now. I turn the music up way, way, way to the top, and it just like takes me away. Yeah. You know? Every night and I put on Anita movies. Baker. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Every night I put on Anita Baker for a little escapism. Oh. It's like I, I, there's something about the you know the 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 timbre of her voice that feels like a better time. And I think by a better time, what I mean is. As a kid, you're just naive to it all. Mm-hmm. So it's a better time. And I, I don't think it was a better time for black people, but I think it was just a yeah. better time as a child, not aware of all of this. So there's something very comforting about that. What was your mom's favorite song? What did your mom play in the house? My mom loved Mahalia Jackson. Oof. Um, she loved her. So we, we listened to a lot of Mahalia Jackson and a lot of jazz music as well. Like yeah. I grew up on jazz music. My father's a jazz musician. Oh, wow. So, Yeah. Yeah, like drummers. So they're both bougie and like... (laughs) Very, very particular about the... I am like, they like five musics out of all of the musics. (laughs) There are five musics. They're like, this one, this one, this one, this one, this one. Everything else is trash. (laughs) You're like, okay, got it, got it. Like my mom is so judgmental of um, of music now. She's like, I don't like that. It's not good. She was... I don't like the tone of her voice or whatever she has to say about it. Um, but yeah, they're they're very fussy. But Sarah Volheim was also a big oh, one. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. My mother yeah. loved Olita Adams. Uh, oh. There's a song by Olita Adams called Get Here. And my mother would play it on repeat. Oh, I, I, I'm pretty sure it's the only song that she played. She wasn't, I mean, my mom wasn't like, it wasn't musical. So like, I, I don't know. I actually don't know. 
how I fell in love with music so much, but I think mm-hmm. I fell in love with music because it was the easiest and quickest way to find myself and find like uh, black people, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. it, it's such well, a because you seek it as well because you're not around it. Yes, right? yes, and it's such a space that we thrive in like black people just thrive in music uh i mean Mm. fucking created a whole new genre well every fucking genre is fucking black but like you know hip-hop jazz country like it's all also punk also punk i did not know that no have you seen that there's this documentary called a band called death i think that that's what it's called i could have it wrong but uh it's about Judith confirms brothers. Judith confirms yes. it is a band called death. Yes. Yeah, it's so good. And it's about these brothers that basically made the first p- punk album in their bedroom. Whoa. And you can hear their neighbors telling them to shut the fuck up. <laughs> That's amazing. Black it's are so good. Fucking amazing. It's a great documentary. Really interesting. What other documentaries have you watched? I would imagine like watching that and being like, Oh, black people created this is yeah. very, Two things. For me, mm. I feel like it's bittersweet. I just watched this documentary. Judith, tell me if it's correct. It's called The Remix, uh, and it's about hip-hop and fashion. It's on Netflix right now. And oh. I, I kid you not, in the first three minutes, I was weeping. Um, yeah. Because it's basically about how all of the styles, all of the fashion, all of the everything from 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 Chanel to uh, Gucci to whatever mm. is all us. Like mm-hmm. it all came from specifically um, Judith. Will you find the names? It's Dapper Dan and Misa Hilton. I think is is who it is. We'll have Judith confirm. But it's like you're mm. like oh, it all just came from our culture this thing that is mainstream and that is everywhere that you see people vying for belongs to our lineage. Mm-hmm. And yet, because we don't know that, we don't value, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, oh, now I have another sense of value of myself because I'm like, oh, Misa me- yeah. Hilton it is. It, it's just weird to not know that stuff, to not well, know yeah. our history, to not, to not know- be able to, uh- to not be able to own it and claim it. Yes. As mine. Yes. Right? And yeah. to not be able to claim like your what your ancestors have done, what your mm-hmm. what, what the people who've come before you have done because you don't know about it, you're not taught about it. I remember even hidden figures with Taraji B. Henson and um and Octavia Spencer, when that came out, I was like, wait, what? This is based on a true story? <laughs> because I was like, but I wouldn't even know to I wouldn't have even known to look that up. Does that make Mm. sense? That's what I actually took away from that movie was like, I didn't even know or consider that I should Mm. look up if black women were involved in NASA. Which of course they were. Which of course they were. (laughs) And then you're like, you look it up and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, that makes 1000% sense. But the way that we're conditioned, especially inside of education, you're like, oh, I wouldn't have even thought to to look that up or to consider that we might be in, inside of that thing that everyone is like, oh my God, that's incredible. I would have never even thought to wonder like, are we involved in that? Cause it's yeah. it's already so considered white. It's already like- Well, well white supremacy finds its way into the minds of all people. And I think that that's, you know, we're talking about like, oh, white people need to do the work to, I think I need to do the work. 
I need to do the work because I've absorbed so much of it myself too. And there's, it's different work, but it's work nonetheless that we can do to like, to, to further our own, you know, liberation in the world, you know? And what do you think your work is? Oh, um, I think my work is to, to, to be the thing that I was always searching for Mm. as a kid, you know? Um, Mm. Because as a kid, it meant so much to me to see people that looked like me. Um, And unfortunately, when you see yourself the same way multiple times, you start to believe, oh, I am that. And so when we're talking about representation, uh, I think it reduces it too much to just reduce it to one word. Because it isn't just representation. We're talking about um, a lot about uh, performative activism, right? Yeah. Performative activism, I think, is a lot like performative representation Mm. in which you're just kind of putting someone at the front just to say that they're at the front. And like uh, you're not really telling, you know, when you tell a story about a community, it's uh, important to speak directly to that community so that it's for that community, you know, whatever that community is. Um, And so I I don't know. I think like... uh, it's hard for me to kind of center myself in this conversation and this movement that feels so much bigger than me. Mm-hmm. But uh, I am kind of getting to the point where I think that there's a lot of power in uh, in being specific about your experience and kind of using that to connect with people and to create a community, you know? So I put out these besides these conversations, I put out these videos that are sometimes about my experience and I always Mm. feel like, is that okay? Is that weird? Uh, But then it always boils down to, if I am able to articulate something else that somebody else has felt, Mm -hmm. then that is of way more value than me not doing that. Like the specificity Mm-hmm. allows people to connect. Because I think about when other people have been, I mean, even right now, when you've been specific about your experiences, it's like, oh, yes, 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 that's what I'm experiencing. Or that's what, mm-hmm. you know, so I think it is important. But I think it that's also uh, unlearning and retraining because we've been taught that our experiences don't matter and aren't of value. And so it's hard for us to yeah. center ourselves. And so that is part of the work is like learning that it is okay for us to center ourselves because we know what the intention is, right? The intention isn't to like, I want likes and performance. It's like, no, no, like I'm... I'm trying to figure this out and put words to this thing to help other Mm. people also put words to this thing so that hopefully we can heal from this thing that we've been dealing with since we landed. Absolutely. I had a friend tell me, white friend, who is wonderful and doing the work, and she said something... Something about, like, uh, I was saying that, like, I was afraid of... um, taking a seat at the table and something to that vein. And she was like, it's so funny as a white person, I'm never afraid of taking a seat at the table. In fact, I will take a seat at tables that I have no business being at just as a white person. Like that's her, that is her conditioning. Mm -hmm. Obviously she's like, she's a therapist. And so she's like, I don't do that. But that is the conditioning of, of a white person is like, yeah. That seat is mine. Oh, and I, I'm not even qualified to be at this table, but I'm going to sit here. And for us as black people 
who are sometimes overqualified, we still have this, but I don't know if I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's making yourself smaller so you can fit, you know. I want to fit into whatever box you gave me, that I, the box that I'm allowed to fit in because I am a person of color, you know. Uh, it, it's funny, I, I was like thinking this morning about, you know, this conversation we were going to have and uh, I was just, because I, I can't handle silence. <laughs> it's really bad. <laughs> I always, I have to have like a podcast or music or an, or an audio book or something playing. Yeah. Um, it just helps me. I've been like that my whole life. Yeah. Um, but I was listening to um, this Alan Watts speech. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a book on tape. It's this uh, kind of a lecture from like the 60s, I think, or okay. maybe the early 70s. Um, and it's so interesting because he was talking about, um, he was talking about how the, the world is really wriggly. It's a wiggly mm, world. Yeah. And he said, you know, the trees are wiggly and the ocean's wiggly and the fish in the ocean are wiggly and the clouds are wiggly. And we are in these boxes. Mm. You're in this square box and I'm in this square box. And we've been told to like live in these houses and we've been told to fit ourselves into these boxes that can't contain us because humans are the wriggliest things of all. Yeah. And like, I'm paraphrasing, I'm not no, Alan no, Watts, no, but so I'm, I'm not that, but it, it kind of struck me in this really uh, interesting way because I, I realized there's there's so much pressure put on us all the time to fit and to make ourselves small yes. so that we can fit into a space that someone else has designed for us, but it doesn't, it can't contain us because we contain multitudes, you know? Oh, I know. I'm I'm just getting letting the sermon wash over me because it's... <laughs> I'm just absorbing because you know, I mean, it. That's you said it so brilliantly. It's like yeah. we're not supposed to. The box that's been designed for us. I mean, I think that's what we are constantly fighting against. You know, when you finally realize, and that is the work for to go back to like what is our work as Black people inside of this. It's like. Mm-hmm. One, recognizing that there's been a box that has been designed for us that we have no business occupying no and i think Uh, that's where the innovation of black people comes from too mm, it's out of necessity yes because i don't fit here yes i have to create something totally new yes and i should Mm -hmm. also you said sorry to be the thing i was always searching for yeah that work that I think that for black people in this moment, you know, white people have a lot of work to do. <laughs> a lot of work to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but for us, it is so emotional. I mean, there is obviously so so much political action that we have to do, and we're in the streets mm-hmm. and we're protesting and we want to create policy. But there is, uh, you know, it's funny that mental health hasn't often been valued inside of the black community because I think it's the most important thing for us because, and but then also I'm like, well, that also kind of makes sense because to really unpack that shit would stop you dead in your tracks. Like if you were to really understand the box that you have been, that's been designed for you, that you've been forced to live in and the ways in which your freedoms have been stripped from you, even though we are free, mm what that does to your psyche 
And and would you be able to move through your day? Would you be able to raise your kids with that information? Like I'm having trouble as somebody with no kids having that much awareness, you know? Oh, yeah. I got just a dog and a husband. I'm like, uh, I, you know, there are days where I'm like, I to, to show up for my children inside of this, I, I get why mental health hasn't been the center, but that is our work right now to be. Well, it's been passed down. Yeah. And we have to break that cycle so that we can be the thing that we've been searching for, that yearning, mm-hmm. that, that, that yearning and that emptiness or that feeling of unfairness or whatever that stuff is. All that stuff is, I think, a search that we've all been doing mm-hmm. unconsciously. And I think oh, yeah. the work is to now do it consciously. Yeah. And also, like, I mean, I'm sure you have these people too, but you look to you look to the people who came before you, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, for inspiration and for um, just, just to know, like, this is where I start, you know, because we're all kind of standing on the shoulders of the people that came before us, you know? Um, And like, for me, I mean, I, I was just like glancing over. um, I have this like picture of Josephine Baker. Yes. I have James Baldwin. And then there's like Solange, there's like Beyonce (laughs) over there. Yes. I have, like, Beyonce Babushka dolls. Love it, I love it. But I was, like, just thinking about all of these people that I have in my home. And, like, I mean, it's the it's the image of them. Yeah. Um, but it feels important to kind of acknowledge the work that they did. Yes. Um, to push the needle just a little bit. And I think that that's what I feel my purpose is. I feel like my purpose is to take that same thing and to push it even further. And then the people that come after me will push it again. Yeah. You know? Um, and especially someone like Josephine Baker is like so important to me. If you want to go research someone, research Josephine Baker, because there's, I, I'm, I've been known to, uh, you know, back when people had like house parties and stuff. (laughs) Back um, in the day. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, there'd been a few times where like at the end of the night, I'll be like, was I okay? Did I drink too much? And people will be like, no, you just went around to every group at the party and told them Josephine Baker's story. <laughs> like, I'll like interrupt a conversation and be like, you know about Josephine Baker? <laughs> I love that. It took all my self-control not to make this entire hour. <laughs> you got to educate the people. They got to research. Yeah. No, that's, that's also my job. It's my calling. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you probably, you you called her because, or you're called to her because of the rebel that she was. You know, mm-hmm. because of uh, it, it feels as though she she fought to get outside of that box. Oh yeah, and was yeah. successful. Right? Well, there had never been there had never been a black woman as a sex symbol, or a black woman at the forefront of pop culture. Period. Yeah, you know, uh, she she kind of created this idea of celebrity as we know it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think like before her, who was there that was really like performing celebrity? Right, right, right. Beyonce. Beyonce. (laughs) I meant Josephine. (laughs) (laughs) But there's a, I mean, come on, there's a, talk about your shoulders, talk about whose shoulders you stand on for sure. Mm -hmm. I also wonder about just thinking about Josephine Baker and thinking about getting outside of a box and like, you know, what it means, because I think that this is what's happening right now in 2020, which is that we are, I think our generation is being charged to create a change that we haven't seen, like to create things that haven't existed and to go and to use tools that we haven't 
that haven't existed before, that mm-hmm. we have to create the tools and create the images and create the lanes that haven't existed. And that's such a an interesting and difficult and emotional and challenging feat, right? Because there's one thing to go off a script and make the script better. There's mm-hmm. another thing to be like, no, we're starting from scratch. And it feels like that's what we are being asked to do in 2020 is to to be to do what black people do, which is innovate, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and be resilient, but to create something. I remember I had somebody uh, when I was um, first, not first starting out, but when I was like, I met like a crossroads in my career, maybe at age like 22 or something. And mm-hmm. I was thinking about going back to school for journalism. And my, um, my roommate at the time, beautiful, beautiful uh, Puerto Rican woman uh, was like, I, I don't, Journalism is dying. <laughs> One so print, print at the time was like you know like not wow. happening. Yeah. She was like, "Don't go to school for that." But more importantly, she was like, "It's probably that um, you want to create your own lane." She's like, "The thing that you're trying to do doesn't exist," uh, and so it's not really about going back to school uh, so much as it is about creating that thing that just doesn't exist, and that's mm. challenging. That's that's that box. That's that like getting outside of your box of like, I have to go here and do this and study this and get this degree. And more so being like, how do I create something that fits the multitudes to use your word, the multitudes of the person and the, the, the being that I am. Mm. But it's also really scary too. Terrifying. You know, I, I feel scared all the time. Terrified. Just so, so much like fear, but then also I think, you, you have two choices, you know, when you're feeling fear, you're at a crossroads and you can choose, you know, you can choose the negative one or you can choose the positive one. Uh, and sometimes it's hard to know which is which, but, uh, yeah, I mean, to your point, I think we're at this, we're at this moment right now that feels, um, feels like we're on the precipice of something that's entirely yeah. new, something we've never seen before. Yes. Um, but it's not the first time we've been at the precipice of something we've never seen before. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, that gives me some comfort just knowing that there are people who came before. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's time for my last question. And I have so many last questions, but I'm trying to think about like, what's the, I guess to, I guess maybe the most important question would be, we are on the precipice of this, whatever this is, Mm -hmm. and it is scary. So how would you, or how do you manage the fear uh, Mm -hmm. so that it doesn't stop you from pushing the needle? You know, this is probably going to sound kind of basic. No. Um, But I'm pretty basic, so I guess it works. (laughs) Um, uh, (laughs) I think... Weirdly, it's something that I've realized, especially, you know, just being in quarantine and being so isolated, um, is how important it is to make sure I'm eating good, Mm. make sure I'm drinking my water, Mm -hmm. doing my yoga, meditating, charging my crystals, keeping my cup full so that I can be there as a full, complete person to fight for the liberation of black people and to be a part of the movement. You know, uh, it's really important, I think, to make sure that we fill ourselves up 
and do what we need to do to to have a full cup to be able to offer something. I have chills. That wasn't basic at all. I have fucking <laughs> chills. It, it sounds basic because, but it's because it's basic. It's what we forget. Yeah, it's we forget that we do need rest, and, mm-hmm. and in order to be effective and impactful in this fight, we do have to charge our crystals and meditate <laughs> and breathe. Oh, yeah. And listen mm-hmm. to Anita Baker and watch Cinderella with Brandy and do the things that really oh. pour into us so that we can mm-hmm. show up fully. There's this thing that Ianla Van Zant said. Um, she was talking about my cup runneth over. And she basically was like, everything in the cup is for you. What runs over is for everybody else, which I think mm-hmm. is so beautiful. It's like you have to keep your cup full. If you're going to be effective, if you're going to to make change, if we're going to move through these terrifying waters to get to hopefully this, what I hope will be just a Narnia of just beauty and, and, and mm. joy and inclusivity and where representation isn't performative and where, you know, everyone has a seat at the table and, and knows that they deserve that seat at the table and are willing to center themselves and, and all that. We mm. have to keep our cups full. Um, so yoga, meditation, all of it, I'm for it. I love it. Thank you for saying I'm not basic. (laughs) Let the people know. People know. Take that with you. (laughs) Go charge your crystals and and rub on the Beyonce photo and know that you are not basic. (laughs) Well, Aisha, Aisha like Rosacea. Thank you so much. Brandon like I don't know, uh, abandoned. I don't know. We'll think of something. We'll think of something. We'll figure something out. Anyways, Aisha, thank you so much. This was incredible. And um, I love you. Can I say that? Love you. Oh, my gosh. I know it's soon, but I love you, too. There we go. Also, just so you know, the Brandy Cinderella movie is not streaming anywhere. um, But it is on YouTube. Hot tip. Life hack. Life hack. Right everyone's trying to. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Yeah, they're researching like, Josephine Baker and they're looking for Brandy. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. YouTube. <laughs> done. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, honey. Have All a right. great day. You too. Bye. Bye. <laughs> So that's my conversation with Aisha D, Aisha like Rosacea. And so my BKG learning moment, oh, this is the first episode, so you don't know about this, do you, listener? At the end of every episode, I'm going to give you uh, a BKG learning moment, which is basically what I feel like I learned in the conversation. So today from Aisha, she so wonderfully and poignantly reminded us that Black love is truly embracing one's own Blackness, which even just saying that shakes me um, because it's so, so, so true and so important. Um, I also loved how, you know, she talks about, you know, Beyonce's Lemonade illustrating uh, the wide spectrum of beautiful Black women and what Blackness is. And it just reminds me the importance of art and representation uh, and the importance of uh, creating spaces and images and work that allows us to see the expansiveness of Blackness, as opposed to just one version of it that we continue to be um, berated with. And usually it's not a good version. It's not a cute version. Uh, And so there is value in 
using media and magazines and books and just any form of art as a tool to see ourselves and show others themselves. Listen, Aisha like Rosacea, baby. She was wise, honey. <laughs> uh, and one of the last things that I, you know, want to step out that she was talking about is, you know, uh, th- that our generation is being asked to create something that we've never seen before. And how do we do that? Self-care, honey. Taking care of ourselves. And I think really expanding what self-care looks like, you know, beyond just watching your favorite show and, you know, sipping on rosé, which <laughs> is my favorite self-care. You know, what are you reading? Uh, who are you communing with? Uh, did you remember to eat? <laughs> like, how are you How are you taking care of yourself? So I'm so grateful to Aisha for all of her wisdom, all of her love, and for having this conversation. Thank you to Aisha D for joining me on the show today. If you liked what you heard, subscribe, rate, and comment on any of the platforms you listen to podcasts. You can catch this conversation also on my IGTV page at Brandon K. Good, on Tom Ellis's page at Official Tom Ellis, or on my YouTube, youtube.com slash Brandon K. Good. And in case you haven't heard it yet today, I love you so, so, so much. Bye. Star Bands Audio, a podcast, <clears throat> a podcast network.